What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Urban Christian Woman Podcast, where we seek to restore women with God's truth for their everyday lives. I'm Tashiba Oliver. And I'm Leah Ross, and we're your hosts. This season, we've got some exciting things in store. So join us as we study God's Word, celebrate women living faithfully on mission, and dive into cultural issues through a biblical lens. You ready, Tashiba? Girl, yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's Let's go. go. Hey, ladies, welcome back to the Urban Christian Woman podcast. It is my joy to be here today with Leah as well as Jasmine Holmes. Jasmine, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you who do not know Jasmine, I'm going to read her bio briefly. Jasmine L. Holmes is the author of Carved in Ebony and Mother to Son as a research assistant and teacher. Jasmine shares her expertise with lifelong learners and educators alike, inspiring them to expand their understanding of history and its impact on our society. Alongside her husband and three sons, Jasmine calls Jackson, Mississippi home. And Jasmine, it's a joy to be here with you today and have the conversation around your latest release, Crowned with Glory, How Proclaiming the Truth of Black Dignity has shaped American history. It's a blessing, girl. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Jasmine, tell us a little bit about um, how the framework came together um, of what led you to write this first. I think that's the main question. What led you to write Crown with Glory? I always think about what do I want to read? Um, is how I decide what to write next. And I wanted to read more about um, how abolitionists really used the Bible, really used the idea and the concept of the image of God to combat chattel slavery, to shape opinion, to shape resistance. And I read everything that I could. I read as many speeches as I could. And I got a couple of books. I even read a couple of dissertations. And I was like, okay, I I need more. And so um, I always tell my husband, like my dream book deal is the book deal that lets me research what I was going to research anyway, but get paid for doing it. And that's Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is like a tool for like all of our education (laughs) Uh and probably so many others. And so like, and also just really encouraging as the, um, those who often like haven't really gotten the privilege of digging into this part of history. So we really appreciate um, the work that you have done for us um, that's mm-hmm. going to benefit us. So um, one of the places you jump in is this con- this big concept of Imago Dei um, and Black dignity um, as you have discovered it like through just the research that you've done. And so how does this hope and understanding of Imago Dei work? Um, how does it form the work that you have written here with Crown with Glory? I think I was formed by so many of the sources. So as I was writing Crown of Glory, uh, Carved in Ebony before Crown of Glory, um, I ran across so many speeches that utilize the imagery of image of God, mm-hmm. image of God over and over and over again. Um, and even if it wasn't explicitly saying image of God, the idea of image of God, the idea of humanity, the idea of inherent dignity came up over and over and over again in my research. And so it just became this multi-layered 
thing that I noticed that I wanted to comment on that I wanted to share about. Um, And so in sharing, really, I tried to do justice to the work that was already out there. I think I described so much of the work in this book as kind of a survey, as kind of elevating the voices that already existed on the topic. Um, I always say, you know, as a historian, I don't want to be like Christopher Columbus and be like, I just discovered this thing that nobody else has ever seen before because like it was there all along. It was there. there all along. Yeah. Yeah. In your book, you talk about this, um, these two distinctions between defending your humanity versus proclaiming your humanity. Uh, Talk about that a little bit for us and why that shift was so significant for you as an individual and why you sought to put it into this beautiful work of, of of a writing tool. So the way that like titling, book titling works, and I just went through it again for um, my next book, is that you title your book what you think it should be titled. And then the publisher comes back and says, this is what I think it should be titled. And then you come back and you say, I like this part, but I don't like that part. It's like a back and forth. So very rarely, I will say in every instance, um, I the title that I originally said was the title that we originally came back to because I'm very like, I'm going to make an argument for this. It's going to work. Um, but I So the subtitle for Comic Glory was eventually defending the humanity of um, Black people. And I was very adamantly like, no, we're not defending. Because for me, defending is something that you do when someone is assailing you in a way that can actually hurt you, in a way that is actually, you know, and and it's something that growing up in predominantly white evangelical circles is that I felt like I had to do a lot is defend Mm. the dignity of Black humanity. And as an adult, you know, in my 30s now with three kids of my own, I'm done doing that. I'm just going to proclaim it. And if you want to hear the proclamation, then that's great. Um, And if you want to engage the proclamation positively, that's amazing. Um, But if you want to engage it negatively, I'm, it's, we're not going to do that. I'm 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 done. And I know that people are called to all different areas and all different types of conversations. And I respect that. Um, but the the defending era is over. It's We're in the proclaiming era now. Yeah, mm. especially as you frame this whole tool with dignity and the Imago Dei. If you're defending, then you haven't really reconciled the Imago Dei and the dignity of all people. So there's no need to defend what is already true, you know? Yeah, and Um, and like proclaiming comes from like a place of freedom. Like, that's what I love. I love, because like I think of like, and you're right, Jasmine, like some are called to be on that front lines and say, hey, there are these assailing lies against the people. Like there are, this. that's Mm -hmm. real. And there's people that are not meant to be on the front lines. They're meant to be in the hills are alive with the sound of music place. Like this is what is true. And like, this is a place of freedom that we can be in. And it sounds like even in your own story that you took a journey sort of towards a place of more freedom, if you will, right? Like for your own black dignity. Absolutely, yeah. Hey ladies, I gotta put you onto something for this holiday season, Foray Jewelry. It's not just jewelry, it's a whole vibe. Kingdom and ethical, straight out of St. Louis. 
I love that the organization empowers refugee women with skills and work that they can do in the office or at home. It's like wearable art with a backstory that hits you right in the heart. All of their jewelry is handmade by refugee women. I grabbed the journey ring, the brass collar, and the Zoom Zoom earrings because I'm more of a minimalist kind of black woman. But Leah, what'd you grab? Girl, I got the Indra Staple Threader gold earrings and the Asmara Hammered Loop earrings in brass because me, I'm a textured and statement gal through and through. And ladies, right now until December 31st, Foray is giving you a blessing with a 15% off discount code. When you purchase, just put in TUCW as the promo code and you are good to go. Give back while getting decked out and check them out, ladies, at foray.org. That's F-O-R-A-I.org. Our style, their story. Okay, this book is dope. <laughs> and I really appreciate it. But like, we are a podcast that specifically talks to urban Christian women. And so chapter three, like when you were talking about the double curse, this is where I'm like, yes, I want our listeners and I want women to really understand like what it was and the significance of like, sort of like, I mean, yeah, just like what it was, how to understand it and recognize it to, I guess, dismantle it. I don't know. What would you say about it? Give us a definition of the double curse. And then let's just unpack that in some conversation. So it's a phrase that I borrowed from um, Robert Purvis. And the last time, well, the time before last that we were together, because y'all be y'all be having a sister on your podcast. And I really appreciate it. I know you're a friend to us. Yes. The first time that we were together, we talked about Carved in Ebony and we talked about my absolute obsession with the Fortins. Mm-hmm. obsessed and I thought that I would grow out of it and it's just grown deeper <laughs> fuller um and so one of the Fortin sisters married Robert Purvis and do you guys have like historical crushes I do right like you look back and you're like yeah so like that my would be son, my person right my my youngest son is named after Malcolm X and when I was like I want to name him Malcolm my husband was like because you admire him or because you're in love with him. And I was like, I <laughs> no comments. And I don't understand. And just I just have my people in history. Bob Moses is another one in Mississippi. I worked for the Margaret Walker Center. Yes, I worked with Popo. The, and so I'm just like, I was talking to um one of the uh one of my coworkers the other day and she said something about Bob Moses. And she was like, what was that look? I was like, oh I I'm in love with Bob Moses. And she was like, no, he was really brilliant. I was like, no, no. You don't understand. It's not admiration. I'm in love with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it is with me and Robert Purvis, just in love with him. And what's amazing about Robert is that he had really close proximity to whiteness. His father was white. He could have absolutely, you see a picture of him, mm-hmm. you're like, that's a white man. Like he could totally pass, it's fine. And so he decided to give up his proximity to whiteness. He married a black woman. He raised black children. He was part of the abolitionist movement. But in addition to his abolitionist work, he was very, very dogged about women's suffrage and Mm -hmm. particularly Black women's suffrage. He's like, it's not enough for women to be able to vote. Black women need to be able to vote because they are at a disadvantaged position in our society. He called it the double curse. And not because he thought it was a curse, but because he understood, um, I'll get in trouble for saying this because I know that there's like CRT warriors. They're not here. They're okay. not here. That's what I was about to say on this podcast. Uh, okay. They are okay. not here. You so are they free. Where they, they left a long time ago. <laughs> so, 
this intersectional identity, right? Of like yes. both Black and being a woman. Uh, and that's the whole thing about this entire CRT discussion is that this these conversations have been going on. Um, you know, he's talking about inter- intersectionality in the 19th century. Yes. Um, he's just not calling it intersectionality. And so he really understood. And he was like, my daughter is both Black and a woman. I would rather her have the right to vote than my son because mm. she needs the right to vote more than my son needs the right to vote. Um, and so... That was like the terminology that he used and terminology that I used for the chapter. Um, but also this idea that, you know, we we talk about in every chapter, it kind of moves to a different um, type of person who's defending the Imago Day. And so in chapter three, it's specifically about free Black women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do talk about enslaved Black women later in the book, but chapter three, specifically free Black women and the double standard of white femininity that they're not allowed to be involved in, but also not allowed to have the privileges of masculinity. So they have all of the burdens of femininity without right. the privileges of femininity and all the burdens of masculinity without the privileges of masculinity mm-hmm. um, because their husbands don't make as much as white men. So they often have to work, um, especially if you're an abolitionist, you're not making a lot of money. Frederick Douglass sent his laundry back to his wife from England. What? Yes. I have a lot of historical crushes and Frederick Douglass is not one of them. We're not going to do that right now. Do your own laundry, bro. That's a whole nother conversation for another day. That is an entirely different and we could go there, but not right now. But just, he would not be able to be free without his wife. He would not be able to eat without his wife. His wife was working. His wife, his wife came up with the whole scheme to get him free. He never taught this woman how to read. Mm. Mm. He was Mm. married for years and years and years. Never taught her how to read. So she was illiterate and providing for him. What? There's no Frederick Douglass. There's no Frederick Douglass without Anna Marie Douglass. Mm. And so there's so many stories like that where, you know, again, like another William Wells Brown, love, love him, love him. So near and dear to my heart. Read his autobiography and was like, oh my gosh, like William, you were, you were speaking truth and you were speaking truth to power. Are you going to join the roster? Of the historical crushes. And then it was like, oh, your wife sent you a letter about abandonment because you were in England after the mm. wife. Okay, William. Well, I- mm. so okay. it's like even men who are on the front lines of a cause for black people yes. are are doubling back and sort of being hypocritical with how that affects women. Yes. As a whole group that experiences the same amount of oppression. Right. So like the double curse is really like the double barriers, right? The barrier of womanhood, then the barrier of my blackness yes. in that context is now like you can you can do all you want and say all the words you want about one. But if you're forsaking the other, then we're not getting anywhere. And Robert has, totally got that. Yeah, yeah, which has been a historical sort of thread all the way through. I mean... You're going way back into like 1800s, but even the civil rights era, there are conversations around that and how women were um, not being brought to the light and their needs in regards to suffrage as well, even back, even during that time. So, I mean, my goodness, that's crazy. Well, and then I got to dig that up. I got to read about that. Let's talk uh, about master, that. Master, slave, husband, wife is what you want to read. What is us. it? What is Master, it? slave, husband, wife um, about Ilion Wu? Um, it's about, it's not about William Wells Brown, but it just covers a lot of different things and a lot of different, um, yeah, it'll be a good, like, covering it all. 
Ladies, if you're enjoying the ministry and content of The Urban Christian Woman, would you take a minute to write a review and give us a rating on iTunes? Our goal is to get truth into the hands of urban women. You can help us by leaving even a one-sentence review and some stars. This simple act will help increase our visibility for more women to find this podcast and resources to help equip them in their everyday lives. So girl, what you waiting for? Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you haven't yet, join our community on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Urban Christian Woman, Facebook, The Urban Christian Woman, and on our website, which is theurbanchristianwoman.com. So I want to, I still want to go a a layer deeper in because there is um, what you were saying. It's like the very thing that Black women were robbed of was the thing that then disqualified them. Is that like quote unquote virtue, right? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So even though Black women in the North were free, they were still judged by the standards of enslaved women in the South. And so it's, it's this terrible thing where Black women are routinely abused, taken advantage of sexually, physically, made to work, made to leave their children, made to, you know, they're forced into this type of lifestyle, but then the lifestyle is held against them. So Mm. it's not just like, oh, these Black women are being sexually exploited. It's, yeah, but they like it. Or it's not Mm. just that these Black women are having to leave their children to take care of other people's children. It's they don't really care about their children as much as they care about white children. Mm. You know, it's not that like you sold her husband. So then then you married her off to somebody else. It's yeah, they're promiscuous. They don't really care. They're not really loyal. Um, And so all of this responsibility is being put on Black women's shoulders for things that they have no control over. In that way, then these things are chalked up to moral failings on the part Mm. of Black women regardless of whether they're enslaved or free, regardless of whether they're being imposed upon in these ways or not. Um, And a lot of Northern Black women experienced um, these ideas and these thoughts that they were less than, that they were, um, that the lowest common denominator described them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's so difficult because a lot of, when we talk about femininity and when we talk about this era, of history, it's kind of the same as today, you know? I mean, I feel like if if a if a lackluster historian picked up a magazine a hundred years from now and was trying to learn about womanhood from that magazine, they'd be like, okay, so it seems like most American women were skinny and white and in their 30s. And it seems like most of them were, you know, because you're getting these ideas from the ideal and not from the and mm-hmm. I, I feel like we kind of do that. In history, we look back and we're like, oh, okay, this Victorian ideal, it was the ideal, but it wasn't the norm. Mm. So the norm was not having smelly mm. and having servants and having this really tiny waist and then going to balls and going, you know, th- that was not the majority, but that was the ideal. And it was an ideal that never included Black women, regardless of how much they aspired. One of the beautiful things um, quote unquote beautiful, right? Because we know that it has an, an underbelly is in America is that it doesn't matter how you start out. You can end up, you know, being mm-hmm. whoever. You can go from rags to riches, but no amount of rags to riches is going to make a black woman white. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mic drop. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's heavy and 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 very real. And in the midst of that, I mean, this is what I love is that your 
you're highlighting women who were proclaiming, even in the midst of that, like what was true because of who God has made us. So, you know, Frances Harper, like she's my, like, if I, if you could be my mom, you just be my mom because you're amazing, you know? And so she was one of the ones who was proclaiming what was true in the midst of that double curse, Mm -hmm. um, unashamedly from a place of, of inner freedom. Yeah. Because of who she knew she was before God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so fast forwarding this a little bit to today, just as you were talking about, Jasmine, how do we disciple? Because we're a ministry that really locks into discipling women. Mm-hmm. And how do we disciple women out of believing the double curse? Because just as you said, women are still believing this. It's, it's coming in a different package. It's coming in a different form. You know, you you had evangelical, biblical womanhood, you know, all of these things. How do we disciple women out of believing the double curse in this cult of true womanhood? And what would it look like for our head, our hands, and our heart mm. to intersect these three? Mm. I think with patience is is the first thing that comes to my mind because my journey away from those false ideas about womanhood and femininity and um, what it means to be a good wife, what it means to be a good mom, they have morphed and changed so much. My husband and I just celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And um, in these nine years, we have had three children. And when we first got married, I was like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to homeschool my kids. And he was going to be a pastor. And we were just going to be living, you know, the life. The Mm. life that you're supposed to have. And nine years later, I'm in grad school. Our kids are not homeschooled. My husband has his own business and is not in the ministry. And so much of our lifestyle, I I mean, I feel like 24-year-old Jasmine would be clutching her pearls. Like you, (laughs) gosh, like you're going to work. Like what what do you mean? Um. And that change did not happen overnight. It's not like I just woke up and I was like, I feel freedom to do these things. It mm. was a long process of understanding and of walking in freedom. And sometimes it was a long process of walking in freedom that I did not feel yet. Um, so mm. I'll give you an example. The other day, my husband was not feeling well. I got up to get the boys ready for school. And he wasn't feeling well. I didn't know he wasn't feeling well though. And so he was like laying in the bed. And so I was just like getting the boys ready and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, clearly he resents me because I have to go to work. And he's just laying in bed full of resentment because I have to go to work. But then I walk in there and like, he's sick. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Really hit me with this whole thing. But I was talking to a friend of mine later and she was like, so you know that it's because you resent yourself, right? Mm. Those friends. I was like, Friends, uh, how many uh, of us have them? Yes. Uh, I was like, first of yes. all, on my side, she's like, I'm on your marriage's side. I was like, ooh. Mm. <laughs> we didn't see that coming. Talk to me like that. <laughs> um, but it's totally true how much we internalize these ideas where there have been times where my husband was free from the idea before I was free from the mm. idea. And it's a lot of that is because of the intersectional, like he, he has much less to lose if he doesn't walk the line than I have. And oftentimes it's hard for him to understand how much it costs me not to walk the line. Um, and he's like, but it costs, it costs to walk the line too. And I'm like, I know, but to walk the line is a cost that I know. To not walk the line is a cost that I don't know. And sometimes mm. we change the cost that we know because mm. we know what it is. Um, and 
So yeah, I mean, patience is huge. Also just like consistently, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote Carbs and Ebony, one of the reasons that I wrote this book was to just show the testimony of the fact that these ideas that we think of as, as you know, all Christians think them and all Christians believe them, it's just not true. Like mm-hmm. there have always been voices who have flown against the status quo. There have always been voices who have come up against the norm and highlighting those voices is so empowering for me. Um and just so like, just learning, just continuing learning about these people and not just, um, not just in the era that, um, that I talk about, but you know, beyond like, like I said, I work for the Margaret Walker Center. And so I'm part of my job right now is I'm reading Margaret Walker's journals. And this woman had four children. Mm. She was a college professor. She was just like, oh yeah, I was on the phone last night with Nikki Giovanni. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Same. <laughs> Also, um, you know, me and Richard Wright were just like having an argument about, you know, she's doing all this stuff, right? And so in her journal, it's so interesting because one page will be like, yeah, I was talking to Nikki Giovanni about this. And the next page will be like, I was reading the Gospel of Luke. And I really think that like this, that Jesus said is really interesting. And the next page will be like, I got to fix dinner tonight. I don't know what the recipe is going to be. You know, and just seeing this powerful Mm. woman who was so many different things. And also in the journal, you see like, she's so many different things. And sometimes she's like, I'm drowning in these so many different things. And so you're seeing that too. There's so much power in those examples. There's so much power in the example of Margaret Walker in the example of Francis Ellen Watkins Harper. Um, there's, there's so many examples that we can look at. And part of my writing is to point people to these examples for sure. Mm, because people like me read that and we're like, my people, like, you're my people. Like when I hear you like tell that narrative, I'm like, that's my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm doing all the things. And yes. at the end of the day, I'm not sure if I'm doing them well. Yeah. Like how many of us are identifying with that? And so it's like almost this joy to look in history and say, my people were there. They were like, there. in it, doing it, like yeah. feeling the ways that I feel now <laughs> and not this very narrow view that we often get with the limited stories that are highlighted in mainstream history like yeah, they're right. not going to tell the stories of my people my people are right there yeah mm-hmm. um all the while even though i maybe never even knew their names yeah and god god bless the the women who have already been written through an evangelical christianity you know but there is this lack of like where do we find ourselves where are our stories and i think it's something that uh, that the Lord is using not just you to do, but I right. think moving forward for us to understand that like when God gives us calling and mission, if it's fitting in this perfect little tidy box, you mm-hmm. have to ask, is it really the Lord? Because right. how could you possibly depend on him mm-hmm. if everything is so tidied and comfortable. And I think one of the things that blesses me so much, Jasmine, as you're talking about these women, is that life was full and it was messy and yet they were still dependent, you know? And mm-hmm. it, it's it's this, this beautiful mess. And yet they are here for our good, you know? And so I'm, I'm grateful for yeah. how you have written this. Um, this resource. Jasmine, you, we're coming sort of to the end of our time, but we know that you're still writing. We know that you're cooking in the kitchen. You cook. So tell us what you can 
of what Jasmine's cooking over the next year or so? So um, I have a children's book coming out um, from B&H. It's about Lulu Fleming, which I'm yes out. Um, I can tell you that. I have a Bible study coming out uh, from Lifeway with Jackie Hill Perry, Melissa Kruger. It's going to be about Ephesians. Mm, um, so good. I have, which I'm most excited about. Um, I have a book. So this Crown Glory is part of a two book deal. So next September, the second book will come out. Um, I think I can tell you the title because I think we finalized it, but it is going to be called um, Yonder Come Day and Mm. is a very, very narrative heavy nonfiction. Um, And it's about the WPA narratives and it takes you through the story of one enslaved woman's life from kind of like beginning to end. So like from being born in, you know, at towards the end of slavery to being interviewed in the 1930s by the Works Progress Administration about her experiences. And um, it's dedicated to my first um, Black woman ancestor that that I know of, um, Jane. And it's really just near and dear to my heart. And I'm super excited about it. My editor said it's the best thing that I've ever written, which is always great to hear. She's yeah. saying so basically I'm just she, she, I'm, I'm learning, right? I'm learning. That I'm means just, you just keep getting better. That's all she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> like you say this every time. So but I'ma still take it. Like say yeah. it. Say it. But like yes. that means that means that she's the right person for you because she's always rooting for you, right. honey. You okay? need somebody in your corner like you that. You need somebody in your corner like that. Okay. She is for sure. Yeah. Yes. That's so well, that's cool. so yeah, that's so exciting. You're in, you're in your so master's program, right? Tell yeah. ladies what you're also doing there. Yeah. So I am um getting a master's degree in history and um my focus is on black life. So like black day-to-day life in the antebellum south and during reconstruction. Um and I'm just starting, this is my first semester. I'm taking a full course load, so I'm taking three classes right now. Um, and I just want to get my master's and just be done. Um, but my husband and my advisor are both like, sure, sure. You, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, it'll stop a hundred percent. I am foreshadowing. I, I am going to stop, but my husband's like, yeah. So when we moved to North Carolina for your PhD and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, you, okay. You're not on board yet. You're not, you're not there yet. When you catch up. When you catch up. <laughs> when you catch up. I know my life. Dad, I said to my dad, my dad came in town and he was like, how's it going? I was like, it's great. And he was like, yeah, I love your thesis idea. Now, when you do your dissertation and I was like, good. Everybody's I, got grand plans for your life. I was <laughs> like, so you're, you're a team PhD. And he was like, my dad was like, is there another team? I was like, okay, you know what? They're ganging up on okay. you. Okay. Okay. They're okay. all out to get me right now. But right now I'm just happy to be doing my master's degree. You just take it one day at a time, especially when you have kids in a house and lots of things. And you're so prolific on Instagram. We appreciate you just educating the masses for free, which makes no sense to me. But I'm like, y'all go hit up Jasmine's books. Go hit up her Venmo. Support the work that she's doing. We really appreciate it. Buy that girl a coffee. Buy that girl. Okay, come on now. (laughs) Whatever it is. I appreciate all. Yes, yes. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you if they don't know where to find you? Which would be absurd, but go ahead. (laughs) I'm on Instagram, um, Jasmine L. Holmes. And I post mostly on Instagram um, about all kinds of history things um, and just what's going on in my life. We appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for joining us. Yep. Have a blessed day, ladies.